We're in Yoshua Paragimel. We're discussing the crossing of the, the Jews, the crossing of the Yardin, the Jordan River. The first half of the parak deals with Hashem's instructions to Yeshua, Yeshua's instructions to the, the Kohanim and the people, that the Kohanim, the Kohanim carrying the Aron, the, the Aron would lead the people across the Yardin. And when they would enter the Yardin, the, 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 Yard, the waters of the Yardin would split, the, the waters upstream would begin to pile up and create a, a huge mass of water, the downstream water would flow away, and the Jews would cross between the between the two between the, the dry land between the two part the two the two parts of the Yardin. Now beginning Pasigidalid, the Navi relates what actually happened. That's actually what happened. the people when they traveled from their tents, Lavarat Yardin to cross the Yardin. The Kohanim who were carrying the Aron, the Ark of the Covenant, they they, they traveled at the head of the people. when the carriers of the Aron when they reached the Yardin, when they entered the Yardin, and the feet of the Kohanim, those carrying the Aron, as soon as the feet just touched or dipped into the water, as soon as their feet entered the waters of the Jordan, the Yardin was very full. It was full up to its banks. The Parshim have different shatim, and what uh, means the, the season, the season of the harvesting of the, of the grain. We live, we live in the cities. We refer to our seasons as summer, spring, autumn, uh, fall. We, we, we refer to them either by temperature, or the cold season, the warmer seasons, or by the leaves, and so on. But you live in an agricultural society, seasons have to do with what kind of work you do on the farm, the, the, the planting season, the plowing season, the harvesting season. So calling that culture, this was Nissan, the, 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 this, was the, this was the harvest season. The Mepharshim have different shatim here about what the significance of Kolyme Katsir was that they have opposite interpretations of what the significance of Kalimei Katsir was. Whether the, whether the river naturally would be, the water level would be low or high at that time of the year. The Radak says, <coughs> even though it was the harvest season where it's not the rainy season, meaning it has, it's not raining at that time of the year in Eretz Israel, so you'd think the water level would be low, but nevertheless, it was uh, there was actually a lot of water there was actually a lot of water uh, in in the river. The Matudas David explained similarly that, that the Navi is telling you that, that even though that, that even that, that there was a lot of water in the Yardin, that even in the time of the Katsir, where typically the rivers are low, the Yardin had so much water that so much water that it was the Yardin had so much water that it was uh, the, 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 the Yardin had so much water that it was full. There are there, there, there's another explanation. There's another explanation that in, that, in, that in the harvest season, that's actually when the rivers do tend to be very full. The Radak brings that shot as well. He says, Ope Rusho, another explanation. It typically is very full in Yimei Katir. Not because it rains. It doesn't rain in Nisan. But the, but, but the, reason, the reason the river is full is because the snows melt. That, the, that the, 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 the snows and the ice are, the water is trapped on the mountains throughout the cold season when, when, when everything is frozen. But in, but in the spring, it begins to thaw, and the, and the, and the, and the waters come, tum, come rushing down the mountains, and the rivers spill up. I mean, it sounds like it would be an easy enough thing to check, to just go see in the... To just... Uh, it would be easy enough thing to go check to see if there's a... Uh, if there's uh, a lot of water or a little water, but the Radak brings these two opposite chutim, that either the, Arden, either the rivers are typically low, but the Arden had so much water it was full, even during that season, or the opposite, that the, the Arden was particularly full, because that's when, that's when the runoff from the mountains was making it full. 
either way, there was a lot of water in the. Either way, there, there was a lot of water in the in the river at that time. But as soon as the Kohanim entered the river, the the water stood, the water stopped, the water that was yardim Malamala that was coming down. The rivers obviously flow from high to low. From the upstream is higher, the downstream is lower. That's how the rivers work. They're not being pumped; they they work on gravity. So the, the water coming Malmala from up, it stopped. Kamunet Echad, it stopped and stayed as one, uh, one, one pile of water. Harchek Ma'od, far away. And then, now there's, there's, a, there's a very difficult phrase in this passage to translate. It says, Harchek Ma'od, the, the Ksiv is Be'adam Ha'er, the Cree is Me'adam Harchek Ma'od, very far away, Me'adam Ha'er. From Adam Hayer, we'll discuss what that means in a moment. Hashem Ritzad Sarson, that was near a place called Sarson. And the waters waters that descended into the the Yam HaRava, the the Yam HaMelach, those waters just because they weren't being replenished, those waters just ran out into the sea, and the river and the riverbed was dry. And the people crossed through the Yardin. Uh, opposite Yericho, the people were able to cross the Yardin. This was the great miracle of the crossing of the the Yardin. What does this word? What does this phrase mean? Harchik Maod may Adam Hayer. So Adam Hayer, Kachma, a city named Adam. So Rashi says there was a certain city called Adam. Sounds like an odd name for a city. And they bring that the Midrash actually says, "Whoever heard of a city called Adam Hayer? We never heard of a city called called Adam." And it says that, uh, that they have a midrash. The midrash says that it refers to Avram Avinu, a singular and uh, uh, singular person. Adam was 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 a reference to Avram. And uh, Ir is uh, Ir. They suggest might mean a malach. So sometimes Ir means uh, in Daniel. Ir is used to mean malach. Sometimes it refers to Avram as a malach. Okay, so that, that's a midrash that Adam Ha'er means it was uh, homiletically it was the schus of Avram Avinu. But Kipshuto, Ir, Ir was a city. Sounds like an odd name for a city. Also, the the, the grammar is a little odd. Adam Ha'ir, Ha'ir Adam, or uh, the, the city called Adam. It, it's a very it's a very strange formulation. May Adam Ha'ir. So the various mafarshim struggle with this. Uh, struggle with this. There are some critics, some uh, some some I guess non non traditional critics they bring, who have tried to argue there's a corruption in the text that it actually should say that uh, may, that the that the, the, the Hayan Ha'er actually is part of the name. It's, 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 it's instead of Adam Ha'er, it should say Adama Ir, a city named Adama, or it should say, or, or maybe the word came from uh, Adam was a version of Maod, Harchik Maod, Maod, very far away from uh, from the from the city. These are uh, you know, creative suggestions that there's some kind of uh, corruption of our text. Even though it is possible, we don't have, as we've discussed earlier when we, in the introduction to, to our class, we discussed that there are those who say that we don't have confidence that every single letter in the, in the Navi is fully accurate. But these are kind of uh, you know, suggestions. I don't know if there's any, any better basis for supporting them. These are kind of creative suggestions just to explain away a difficult phrase. Obviously, traditionally, we're going to assume the text we have is correct, unless we have a really good reason to believe otherwise. So again, the Mepharshim struggle to understand what exactly what exactly it means. And the, the standard shot is Adam actually was the name of a city, even though the Midrash says it's uh, whoever heard of a city called Adam. The simple shot is that there was a city called Adam, and the water was the water was far away. 
So Malaya Dumim, yeah. So Malaya Dumim, many or most of the city names in Israel are taken from old cities. Uh, Malaya Dumim sounds like it would be something from Tanakh. I have to admit, I don't, I don't recall. Uh, I don't recall the if, if that's true or the exact location. But yeah. So uh, yeah, is that related to Adam? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, the what, what what it means what it means that it was far away from the city. So the Radak explains that it means that the water there was a ton of water. It uh, had the water been spreading out normally, it could have reached all the way to the city. But since the water just piled up without spreading, even though there was enough water to reach the city, it stayed just as far away from the city as uh, as, 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 as it was. It, it didn't spread at all. The nace was that the water all got stuck in there. Uh, that, that the water all got stuck in the and, and piled up in, in, in one spot. The, the radak the radak often explains both the kree. The radak often explains both the kree and the ksiv. The, the ksiv here is be'adam ha'er. The water was in Adam Ha'er, and the Kriya is far away from Adam Ha'er, so the Radak explains that they're both true, that they're both, they, they both convey the same shot. Had the water not been trapped in one place in a pile up, there was so much water that it would have gotten all the way there to Adam Ha'er and flooded the city. But, uh, but still, uh, the, the nace was that the water stayed all tied up in one place, piled up. The water just piled up without reaching, uh, without reaching Adam Ha'er, just as far away just as far away uh, as the river was in the first place, despite the fact it was a massive water that was stuck in that one spot, it stayed where it was and then didn't go to the city. Rashi says that, uh, Rashi says again, that, uh, that, 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 where the, that, that where the, the way they explain Rashi here, the Harachik Ma'od means, where the Jews stood, the water stood right there. That the, that the way they understand Rashi, that you read the passage like this: the water stood in one pile, harchik um, ma'od, far, far that uh, very far from the place that they stood, the waters were cut off, and ba'adam ha'er is, is where is where the, where is, is where the water where the waters were where the waters were uh, that's where they were that, that that's where that's where the waters were cut off they weren't cut off right, right where the Jews stood I'm not sure why the waters had to be cut off far away from where the Jews were. The Jews were about to cross the Yardin, so maybe it means that they were cut off far upstream from the Jews, so they would have plenty of room to get through. Anyway, th- this was the nace, like the exact meaning of this phrase is difficult, but this is the nace that the water, the water began to pile up, and the, the downstream water ran, o- ran, ran off, and they were able to go through the, through the Yardin. One last pasuk in this parak, Vayamadu ha'ka'anim nasei haron Hashem and the Jew and the, the Kohanim the Kalanim stood arranged in their proper spot uh, in, in the water. The Kalanim carrying the Aron, they stood in the, in the dry land in the middle of the Yarden. Bechal Yisrael over in Becharava, all the Jews passed through on the dry land in the middle of the Yarden. Ada Shartamu Kalagoy Lavaras Yarden until the entire people had crossed the Yarden. This was the, the great nace of crossing the Yarden. In the next parak, this is the end of Parak Gimel. The next parak, Parak Dalad, we discussed the. Uh, the continuation of this, the, 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 the taking out stones, making a monument to commemorate the great nace, and the and the, the final the, the final details of the story are going to are going to be are, are going to the the kind of leaving the Yardane, the, the river going back to where the river, the river returning to its spot. That's all going to be in all going to be in Perikdalid.
So we'll, we'll, we'll hold off this and we'll discuss a little bit about the, the miracle of the crossing of the Yarden. So th- this was actually a, a question in the Kolel's uh, riddle in the Kolel's newsletter. Or one of the riddles we gave out a, a week or two ago was, who were the four people in the Torah who split, uh, split the Yarden? And the answer was... Yes. So who are the four people who split them? Split the Arden? Um, Eliyahu, Elisha. Or split water in general. Eliyahu, Elisha. Um, 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 Yeshua. Yeshua, that's what we just learned. And Moshe Rabbeinu split. Moshe didn't split the Arden. Moshe split the, the Amsaf. These were four Nevi'im, four great Nevi'im, who performed miracles of splitting water. So the... So the this nace of Yeshua splitting the Yarden obviously parallels that of parallels that of Kriyas Yamsuf. In both cases, the Jews, the, the entire Jewish people, passed through the water when it was dry. This is what Yeshua did. Uh, this is Yeshua's version of it, as opposed to Moshe's when he split the Yarden. But we split the Yamsuf back in Pashas Bashala. There's a there's a story we tell and we, we tell we relate in my family when one of my sisters was interviewing for to attend seminary for a year in Israel. So a question a question she was asked in but by, by the by the interviewer from the BJJ seminary I believe this happened many years ago a couple of decades ago so it's possible I don't have all the details correct but uh, the way the way I recall it uh, that she was asked. Can you explain how come in Kriyas, in Kriyas Yamsuf the Torah says the water was a wall to the right and the left that uh, we did the pictures of the Jews traveling through tunnels and there was water on both sides. When it comes to the Ardain, it says the water piled up upstream and then downstream it just it ran away, it just ran off and the Jews crossed. But there wasn't a wall on both sides, there's a wall only on one side. So what, what, what's the difference? How come, how come Moshe made the nace like that and Yeshua made the nace like this? So my sister said, because the Amsuf is a sea, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, stable body of water. So to split it, you have, if you split in the middle, then there's water on both sides. But the Ardain is, uh, is a dynamic body of water. It's, it's flowing downstream. So if you stop the water, if you stop the water upstream, then naturally the downstream water flows away, and you end up with water just on one side and not the other side. So the interviewer was not pleased with his answer. She said, "Dvarim gedolim enam b'mikra." Great things are not just uh, due to technical and uh, technical practical reasons. There has to be a, a symbolic reason. Uh, a, a, there has to be some kind of. Uh, Spiritual reason here. If you wanted something more, uh, more, more religious, more, 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 more meaningful. But Kipshuto, the my sister, of course, was correct that the because of the differences in the body of water, bodies of water. That's why there was a different type of nace. And the Amsuf, the Mayim was a Mayim and the Yarden it just piled up Nade Echad on one side and ran off on the other side. Did she get it? She got it. Yes, she had, she had a very good year in Eretz Israel, and she got it. So. The Ralbag, the Ralbag says something extremely provocative, extremely interesting, and extremely important on, on, the story of, uh, on this story of the splitting of the Yard. He actually says similar things in his Pirish Torah, discussing the splitting of the Amsif. The, the context here is we have to understand who the Ralbag was. The, the, the Ralbag was one of the greatest of the, of the Rishonim in terms of Jewish thought, philosophy, as well as in terms of Pirish Amikra as a, as a Mefare Shav Tanakh. The Rolbag wrote Perushim on, on Chumash, as well as on Nach, much of Nach. His, his Perush was one of the most popular, one of the most uh, influential and widely studied. It was also very controversial. 
because the, the Ralbag was a, a, a very radical philosophical thinker. He was a follower of the Rambam. The, the Rambam, of course, was controversial in his day. Some people thought he had gone too far in making accommodations to Greek philosophy, Aristotelian philosophy. Some people felt he had sold out uh, too much of traditional Jewish belief to reconcile it with uh, the philosophy of his day. And, but the Rambam was, uh, even though he had his opponents, at the end of the day is, was, was revered, and even though people felt, felt he went a little too far, but he was still revered as one of the greatest thinkers in Jewish history. The Rolbag was also, the Rolbag was also commonly thought, commonly uh, esteemed as, as a, great, a great thinker in Jewish philosophy. He was even more radical than the Rambam. He followed the Rambam's approaches to many things. But uh, th- there, there were a number of cases where the Rambam stopped short and said we have to just accept the tradition. The Rolbag went even further and said we have to follow logic and we have to follow science. And the Rolbag was, a, uh, was very, very radical in some ways, and uh, the Rolbag aroused a lot of opposition due to the fact that, that, that some, of his interpret- some of his understandings of philosophy, of theology, and of the Mikra were, were so radical. Now, for some reason, I've never really seen this addressed, and I've never really seen an explanation of this. For some reason, his Pirush on Chumash is often more, more radical, more, uh, more incendiary than his Pirush on Navi. I'm not sure why. I think he wrote them around the same time, but, uh, but for some reason, his Pirush on, on Mikra, as well as his philosophical work, his philosophical work is called Melcham Hashem, Wars of the Lord. It was, it was occasionally pejoratively nicknamed by his opponents, Muhammad's Neged Hashem, Wars Against the Lord, because people thought what he said there was so uh, blasphemous sometimes. The interesting thing also, by the way, is that unlike Rambam or some other Jewish thinkers who, who, who gave as well as they got, who punched back, who were, who were uh, contemptuous and dismissive sometimes of their opponents and their critics, the Ralbag never engages in polemic. The Ralbag is, is, has, the, has the tone... The, the, the literary tone, I always say his farm are not nearly as much fun to read as the Rambam. The Rambam has a great literary style, the Rambam is poetic, is uh, sometimes pugnacious, is uh, acidic, and is, uh, the Rambam is a great Hebrew stylist. The Ralbag has the literary style of a textbook or a cookbook. The Ralbag is like a very, very measured, precise, unemotional, flat delivery, never raises his voice, never... Uh, never gets excited. The Rolbag's delivery is kind of very, very in a monotone, kind of in a very, very straightforward and never never goes on the attack, never never really gets, uh, never really enters an emotional register. So he, uh, the Rolbag is very, 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 very even-tempered. And sometimes you don't even realize that he's just said something radical until until you just, you read it and you say, what did he just say? And then you read it again and you see that he's really saying that, huh? So the, the Ralbag, both on, on the Nisim of Kriyas Yamsuf and the Nisim of... Um, it, well, actually, we'll, we'll get to the Ralbag in a few prakim when, when we discuss the... when we discuss the, 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 the battle against the, the, the... when we discuss one of the battles Yeshua is going to fight soon. I think it might have been the battle against the Ai. So the Ralbag has... A, the, the, the Pasuk says, Shemesh Begivadom, that Hashem made the sun stop. And that, and that was generally understood to be a nace involving the stopping of the sun. The Rolbag says the sun didn't stop. He rereads the Psukim. The, the, the Maral was so upset. The Rolbag had philosophical reasons for, for learning like that. The Maral was so upset at the Rolbag. He writes, he writes about the Rolbag, one of the most epic, uh, epic rabbinic put-downs I've ever seen. He writes about the Rolbag. Oso ha'ish, kilkel b'nevim, Pagam Biksuvim, he damaged and distorted the Psukim and he uh, tampered and he, and, and he damaged the, 
the Nevi'im and the Ksuvim. Also Perushim Shel Tohu he wrote commentaries, he wrote commentary of uh, nonsense and emptiness, and it was, it was only, he said, it was the great schus of the Nevi'im, it was the great merit that they had, that their Al-Bag's their Al-Bag's interpretations are so far out and so implausible that nobody would t- will take them seriously. Because if anybody did take their Al-Bag seriously, that would be a grave matter indeed. But anyway, so their Al-Bag was something of a radical, and, but, but also highly esteemed. The, 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 there's a famous shuva of the Rivash. The Rivash was asked about whether it's a good idea for Jews to study philosophy, study Greek philosophy, Rivash was a little, uh, was not comfortable with it. Rivash felt it was a bad idea, that philosophy, even though it has value, perhaps, it could easily lead people astray from religion, and it's a dangerous endeavor. And he writes, uh, the, the Rambam went a little too far, and the Rambag was also a great Chacham, uh, tremendous Chacham in Talmud also. The, the Rambag didn't write on Gemara, but, but he was a great, uh, he was a great, uh, we know from his Perushim on, on the Halachi parts of the Torah that he was a great Talmudist as well. He writes that even the Rambam and the Ralbag, uh, the Ralbag went even further than the Rambam and said terrible things. He rattles off a bunch of his uh, controversial theological doctrines. He said if even these two great Chachamim, the Rambam and the Ralbag, who are so much greater than us, if even they could be led astray by the seductiveness of Greek wisdom, then certainly if we study philosophy, we're going to be in big trouble, so we should stay away from it. So that was the Ralbag. He was very highly esteemed but he was by many, but he was also uh, considered to have been a theological radical. So the Ralbag says regarding Kriyas Yamsuf and Kriyas Yardin that Hashem performed those miracles via a wind. And now in, in Pasha B'Shalach, it's, it's explicit in the Torah, it says Hashem made an east wind blow, that, that, he, that, that he split the Yamsuf via a wind. The Ralbag understands that he split the Yardin via a wind as well. That uh, it doesn't say anything about a wind here, but the Ralbag says that he split the Yardin via a wind as well. Now, regarding Kriyas Yamsuf, it's explicit in the Torah that it was split by a wind. Because of that, the Ralbag has this incredibly ingenious explanation for how it worked. Again, the, the standard shot is there were tunnels, there was uh, water on both sides, water on the right, water on the left, and there was, and the Jews passed through in the middle. Says the Ralbag, if there was an east wind blowing water from side to side, how is there a tunnel? So the Ralbag says there were no tunnels. What happened, he says? So he says there was, there was an underwater ridge where the Jews crossed the Yamsuf. Let's say the water level was uh, 100 feet above the ground over there. So there was an underwater ridge that reached up to about 90 feet from the seabed. And normally it was covered by about 10 feet of water on the top. That ridge, he doesn't give these numbers, I'm giving the numbers just for concreteness sake. That ridge ran, let's say, from north-south under the water. So there was an underwater ridge traveling, a mountain ridge traveling from north to south and normally the water reached about 10 feet above the ridge. Hashem made an east wind come from the east. It blew all the water across the surface of the Amsuf to one side, and it uncovered the top of that ridge. It blew about 10 feet of water off, so that ridge was now uncovered. And the Jews crossed that ridge across the, to cross the Amsuf. Now, on the left side of them, on the west, there was a whole mass of water that was blown over by the wind. On the right side, there was no mass of water, because the wind can't make tunnels, the wind doesn't do that. On the right side, there was, no, there was no mass of water, but what happened was, because the water only blew the top few feet over, and the ridge dropped away on, the, on both sides, so there was just water that was left there from before. So the, when the Jews crossed, there was only water rising on one side. When the Torah says, it means the water on the right that was just left there on the side of the ridge protected them from being flanked by the Egyptians from coming around in a flanking maneuver and hitting them from the vulnerable side. That's what it means. It means there was water on both sides, 
but it was, it was only piled up like a real wall, only on one side. That's the, the contortion that Obad goes through to explain how the native Kriyas Yamsuf could have been done by a wind. But there, at least, the Torah says it was done by a wind. The Yardin does not say anything about a wind. But the Rolbach understands that Hashem, that Hashem would have split the Yardin either by a wind, he says, or by creating as a nace a kind of transparent uh, barrier that held all the water up. Either the wind held the water up or a kind of uh, glass, glassy, transparent, uh, miraculous barrier held all the water up and then the other water flowed down and the Jews crossed between the Yardin. Now, why does Rolbach say this? What's pushing him to say that there were winds or that there were uh, transparent barriers? So again, in the Yamsuf and Meshalach, it's explicit there was a wind. In the Yardin, it's not explicit. But the Ralbag says, Hashem, when Hashem makes Nisim, Hashem always makes Nisim, he minimizes the deviation from Teva. That we, we find, he gives other examples. We find that when, uh, when, when Elisha cured Naaman of his Saras, he told him, bathe in the Yardin, and your Saras will be cured. Naaman was very skeptical. Naaman said, uh, we have finer waters in, in where I come from, what do I need the Yardin for? They said, listen to the Navi, he did, and he was healed from his Taras, and he was so moved, he became, uh, he gave up of a Nazar, and so on. So, certainly it was a nace. You, you, don't, you don't need Elisha to prescribe uh, medical advice. The, certainly it was a nace. But the Rolbag says, Hashem makes Nisim, this is an idea many Rishonim say, Hashem makes Nisim, he, 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 Hashem prefers to make Nisim in ways that are as close or as consistent with nature as possible. Since water can sometimes help, uh, bathing and hygiene can sometimes uh, help a person with these things, even though in this case it was obviously a nice, uh, so as, as Alicia said, do it uh, with water. He gives another example, it says that, he gives another example that it says that when, when, uh, that, that Yeshaya gave instructions to cure an illness of Chizkia, he said, take a, a dvelas te'enim, take some kind of uh, mush of figs, and rub it on the, on the shechin, rub it on the, on the boils, on the inflammation. He says, te'enim can sometimes, these types of uh, preparations can sometimes, you know, creams and ointments can sometimes help treat uh, the disease, even though in this case, if it was Yeshaya Hanavi doing it, it was obviously a nace. <coughs> but Hashem often tries to minimize Nisim and, and do it as, as much in, in accordance with Teva as possible. The Rolbag says this in Pashat B'Shalach again. He says that they got to a place called Mara, and the water was too bitter to drink. They couldn't drink it. So Hashem showed Moshe a certain wood, and he threw the wood into the water, and the water became sweet. It became drinkable. That was the great nace of Mara. So what kind of wood was it? So Rashi brings from Chazal that it was a bitter piece of wood. It was a wood that was bitter. It was a nace betok nace. He threw a bitter piece of wood into the water, and somehow the water got better. Rolbag says just the opposite. It was a sweet piece of wood. Because the derech of Hashem is to minimize Nisim. Even though a, a little piece of wood couldn't really have purified the whole water, it wasn't like those uh, tablets that can kill the bacteria. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't nace, he said, but Hashem makes Nisim in a way that minimizes the, the nace. Hashem does Nisim in accordance with Derech Teva. What about Chazal who say it was a bitter piece of wood? So the Ralbag says, uh, he, he has an approach, he sometimes says, Chazal were exaggerating to make a point, he says. Chazal just wanted to, make, wanted to make sure you understood it was a nace. They said, don't think it was a water purification tablet, it was a bitter piece of wood. But they, they, they were just, it was hyperbole to make a point. They meant it was a nace, they don't think it was natural. But of course it actually would have been a sweet piece of wood because the Derek of Hashem is to, is to minimize Nisim to the extent possible. So that's one point that Al-Bag makes about the one point that Al-Bag makes about the nace of the Kriyasa Yardin, that it, he, says, he says that it, uh, Hashem makes Nisim, he minimizes the nace to the extent possible. And therefore, he used winds and, he, or, and or this other thing, that this uh, transparent barrier, 
to hold up the water because Hashem to just make the water stand without any support is not was not the way of Hashem. Hashem tends to minimize Nisim as much as possible. The Rolbag says a, has, says a, another aspect of this though. And this is this is something truly radical. The Rolbag says this is an old this is an old theological conundrum, an old philosophical theological conundrum. Can God make a stone so heavy that He can't lift it? This is actually discussed by the Rishonim, not the specific example of a stone that's too heavy to lift, but the Rishonim actually directly grapple with this question. We say Hashem can do everything. I call Yachal. Is it really true that Hashem can do everything? What about things that are logically impossible? Can Hashem make something be both true and not true at the same time? Can Hashem? Uh, what about things that are theologically uh, impossible? Can Hashem create another entity like Himself? Can Hashem split Himself into two? Can Hashem give Himself a body? So, generally speaking, the Rishonim who discuss these questions say no. A number of Rishonim, Rambam, Rambam himself, Ralbag, the Rashba, a number of Rishonim discuss this question, and they say the answer is no. Hashem, we do, we do not say Hashem can do these things. When we say Hashem can do everything, we mean He can do everything that's logically, that, that's feasibly possible. Things which don't make sense at all, which are either logically incoherent or even theologically nonsensical, we don't say Hashem can do them because Hashem, we don't say Hashem can do things that, that are meaningless and that are completely uh, inconceivable. Okay, it's uh, perhaps a radical doctrine, perhaps not. As far as I know, no Rishonim disagree with this. I wrote an article about this about you know, 15 years ago or something. I published an article saying that this was the consensus of the Rishonim and that nobody really disagrees. And I called the, the other belief that Hashem can literally do anything, even things that don't make any sense, I called that a naive approach to divine omnipotence. I, I actually got pushback from some writers, Chabad writers, who said, apparently in Chabad, the Rebbe used to teach that Hashem can do everything, even things that are logic, even things that to us are logically in- inconceivable. Hashem is not bound by any limits, including those of logic. And they were very upset at me for saying that uh, such a belief is naive. There, there was nothing really to challenge my, my contention that in the time of the Rishonim, no Rishon claimed that, that, that a number of Rishonim said explicitly that we do not say Hashem can do that, and no Rishon disagreed. None of the opponents of the Ram ever came along and said that's uh, pernicious doctrine, that's theologically uh, problematic. Nobody ever challenged the Rambam on this. Uh, this was said by several Rishonim, and uh, as far as I know, there was no objection to this for hundreds of years. But, but this, this is the opinion of the Rambam and the Ralbag, and I would say the Rashba also, although some of my Chabad people debated this. But this is certainly the opinion of the Rashba and the Ralbag that we do not say Hashem can do things that are logically inconceivable, that are inherently uh, meaningless, theologically meaningless, logically meaningless. They give other examples as well. The Ralbag, in, in this discussion of the splitting of the, of the Yardin, he gives other examples of things that are, that, are, that are inherently impossible and meaningless and inconceivable. That we don't say Hashem can do them. One of the examples he gives is, is what I called a geometric impossibility. The Ralbag says, we don't say that Hashem can make he says, we, he says, we don't say that Hashem can make. He says, the example he gives is making a square where the, where the diagonal is equal to the side. Or making a triangle, he says, of, of straight lines where the, where, where the angles of the triangle are less or more than two right angles. This is the standard thing we learn in geometry, that uh, the angles of a triangle equal 180 degrees. 
which the, the medievals used to refer to sometimes as two right angles. Each right angle is 90 degrees, so the, 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 sum, the sum total of the angles in a triangle is always 180. And so, so, so the Rabag says, we do not say God can construct a triangle with an angular total of anything other than 180 degrees. So the Rabag is claiming that things which are impossible, geometrically impossible, God cannot do either. So that's actually an interesting question, because with the, as I noted in my paper, in the 19th century and over the years, mathematicians began to construct what we call non-Euclidean geometries, geometries where the rules of Euclid do not apply, where the ang- angles of a triangle can be more or less than 180 degrees. Not only that, but the scientists, I think, have determined that the geometry of our world is not strictly Euclidean. It's, it's close to Euclidean on the human scale that we live, but due to general relativity, the way space is curved and whatnot, the, on, 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 a, on, on a general scale, the world is not strictly Euclidean. The, 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 the geometry of the world is not strictly... Triangles do have, actually, more or less than 180 degrees. So it's ironic that Al-Bag said that such a geometry is impossible. The way we understand things today, you can certainly construct the logical geometries which, have, uh, which are not Euclidean. As a matter of fact, when, 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 when Euclid wrote his geometry, he, the, what, what makes geometry Euclidean is, is called the parallel postulate. It was a, it was a postulate that said that, the, that, that, it, that it, it, was, it was on the nature of parallel lines. It, it was essentially it was equivalent to the idea that triangles have 180 degrees. It, that, that Euclid had to codify the, the basic assumption of Euclidean geometry. I think it had something to do with if you have two parallel lines and you have a, a line that intersects them. There were some comments about the angles, of the, angles of the, the angles that the intersecting line makes with the parallel lines. It's equivalent to saying that the angles of a triangle are 180 and so on. You have to codify that explicitly as a postulate. Many people felt that postulate was much more long and awkward and involved than the other postulates, which were much simpler, the shortest distance between a point is a straight line, and so on. So many people felt that that postulate was so cumbersome, it, it, it's ugly, it should be derivable from simpler postulates. And they tried and tried and tried to prove it from the other postulates, and they couldn't do it. They, 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 kept, they, kept, they tried reductio ad absurdum. They tried saying, let's say we assume the parallel postulate is false. In other words, let's say we assume geometry is non-Euclidean. Then they started developing it and said, well, this would happen and that would happen, and they had increasingly bizarre results, but there was nothing logically inconsistent. It was a perfectly consistent geometry. Until finally they realized, yes, that these non-Euclidean geometries are perfectly, uh, perfectly reasonable. They, they may not be our experience in the world that we live in, but uh, physics and geometry are two different subjects. The question of whether the physical world follows Euclidean geometry or not is... Uh, is, is, is there's no way to, to, to answer that a priori. You can answer it by observation, but there's no way to really answer it by, uh, by logic. And, and today we understand that there are, there are multiple, multiple different geometries. They're all, they're, they're all equally valid. And the only question is, which one's applying in the real world? So the Rolbag's assumption that God cannot make uh, non-Euclidean geometry on one level is simply false. That you certainly can. If the Rolbag meant that within a Euclidean system you can have logical inconsistencies, that's something that maybe is... Uh, is more acceptable that if you assume the, the postulates of Euclidean geometry, then you can't have logically contradictory results. That might be true. Anyway, the Rolbag's point is that certain things are logically or fundamentally impossible. Even God can't do them if they just make no sense and God can't do them. The Rolbag has a very strange idea. He seems, to, he, seems to, he seems to believe that for water to be held up, just suspended in midair against the rules of gravity, would be inconceivable and logically impossible, and therefore even God doesn't do it. Very hard to understand why. The Rabag agrees Hashem can make Nisim, so it's a little hard to understand why that Nase was so 
logically impossible more than any other nace in the Torah. But the Ralbag seems to say this. The Ralbag seems to say that, that, that at, least, at least the way I read his passage, he seems to say that for water to be held up in midair, that would be inconceivable, and that's identical to a logical inconsistency, and therefore he has to say there was a wind. So in addition to what he said earlier, that Hashem prefers to make Nisim as close to nature as possible, he also has this much stronger and more radical proposition that God does not, cannot make Nisim, which are logically inconsistent, and holding water up in midair, the Ralbag seems to think, would be, in that, would be in that category. That's how he explains the Gemara. The Gemara says... The Gemara says about Korach, it says that, that Moshe said that uh, if I'm right, then, then Korach should not die naturally, that if Hashem creates, if, Hashem create, if Korach dies naturally, then I stand refuted, that, that I'm an agent of God. But in Bria Yivra, if Hashem creates a new creation, a mouth on the ground that opens up and swallows Korach, that will be a sign Hashem sent. So the Gemara asks about that, in Bria Yivra Hashem, the Gemara asks, uh, how can that be? How can Moshe ask for a new creation? There's no, uh, there are no new things in the world, and the Gemara answers that uh, that it's, uh, it actually was created by so it was not a new thing in the world. So the Rambam understands the theological discussion to be something which is fundamentally against the laws of nature, and, and it's not just a nace, but it, but the Rambam feels there's a deeper impossibility, like water standing up in the air, things which have no explanation at all. Even a nace, we don't say Hashem can do. And there are earthquakes. The answer to the Gemara is that there is such a thing as an earthquake. When God made the world, it is inherent in the laws of matter and the laws of nature that the mouth of the earth sometimes opens. The nace was that there wasn't supposed to be a scheduled earthquake at this time in this place. That was a nace. Hashem made right now an earthquake. That was a nace, he said. But uh, it has to be something which is fundamentally possible, fundamentally in accordance with the laws of nature. So that, that's how the Rambam understands that he has this very limited view of Nisim. He limits them that they can't be something which is fundamentally against the, the, very, the very fabric of the universe. Again, what that means, or what, what, how do we distinguish between these two categories in terms of the, our modern understanding of the world? Very difficult, but this is the opinion of the Rambam. As, as a footnote, a, a literal footnote, I wrote this in my, in my paper back then, there, in, in the early 14th century, after the Rambam, there was a great controversy over, over again, the, periodically these controversies flared up over the study of philosophy. So there was a great controversy in the time of the Rashba, the end of the Rashba's life, about, again, about uh, Jews who were studying philosophy and they were engaging in, some of them, in radical theological uh, speculation. So in the course of this controversy, there were, there were accusations leveled against a certain Jewish philosopher named Rabbi Levi. People said he was an Epicurus, he was rejecting the Torah in favor of Aristotle. People accused him of, uh, of heresy. So... One of this so the Rashbo, he was charged before the Rashbo with heresy. So one of his defenders, uh, who had great respect for the Rashbo, he said, I, I looked at his writings, I examined his papers, I didn't find anything that was religiously controversial in there, there everything there was, was orthodox. The only passage I found which was troubling, which was something uh, against our tradition, he says, was there's a famous Gemara. The Gemara says that when, when Hashem wrote the Luchos, it says they were written Mishnei Avraham. The, 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 the writing went from both, point to Chazal, it means it went, they were engraved all the way through, they interpenetrated from front to back. So the Gemara says, Mem v'samach shebeluchos b'neis hayuomdi. The Mem and the Samach, the Mem Sofis, which is a square, the Samach, kind of a circle. The Mem and the Samach and the Luchos, which were topologically, they were Tauruses, they were donuts. The intersection would be unsupported by anything. They were completely detached from the outer surface of the Luchos. If it was just engraved shallowly, then it's, of course it's held in by the back. 
But if you learn it goes all the way through, if you write an O and you engrave it all the way through the paper, all the way through the stone, the middle should just fall away. So the Gemara says that was a nace. That there was a nace that those middle sections just stay, stayed there suspended in midair. So this Rabbi Levi said, not what happened, there was a tafula, it was held up by something, there must have been some mechanism to hold it in place, it didn't just stand there in midair. That's the only thing he said that was unorthodox. So the Rashba said, I don't understand, once you say that, that means you're rejecting the, fa- the fact that Hashem can do nisim, if, if you reject that, you're rejecting the whole Torah, so he's clearly not be cursed. But it seems, it's very likely, I think, that, that the, he, he held like the Ralbag. Even the Ralbag feels Hashem can make Nisim, but the ability of Hashem to make Nisim is somehow limited. It, can, it have to be something which are fundamentally consistent with the laws of nature, specifically gravity, something, something floating in midair with no visible, with no means of support, is something even Hashem, we don't say Hashem can do. And just like for Kriyas Yamsuf and for Kriyas Yardain, there had to be something holding it up, the water, whether it was a wind or an, or an invisible, transparent barrier. There had to be something. And so too, the Shubi Levi likely held that even if he believes in Nisim in general, there are a lot of other things in the Torah he could have challenged if he didn't believe in Nisim. If he didn't believe in Nisim, he could challenge Kriyas Yamsuf and, uh, and uh, many, many Nisim in the Torah he could challenge if, uh, all the Makas if you don't believe in Nisim. So, quite possibly, I speculated he held like the Ralbag that the that some violations of gravity are, are fundamentally, even though, even though we don't really understand why that should be, in our understanding of science, why that's more impossible than the other nays, but the Rabag apparently understood it is more impossible, it is fundamentally impossible for matter to remain suspended in midair without any means of support, and we don't say Hashem can do that, and therefore that's quite possible that that's what this Rabi Levi, that's what this Rabi Levi held as well. I should note, in conclusion, that this whole chazal, that the mem and the luchos were just floating in midair, that the center were floating in midair, is based on the assumption that when it says Mishnei of Rehem, means the writing went all the way through. Rabag himself disagrees. Rabag himself says the writing did not go all the way through. Some of the Mepharshay Abshat say, why would it do that? Uh, if the writing went all the way through, you couldn't read it on the back, because it would all be mirror image. It, would, it, would, it, would, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't make any sense. There is a Gemara, that Rashi and Chumash, and the way some understand him, and there is a Gemara that indicates that was also a nace. The nace was that even though the writing went all the way through, somehow, in a mind-boggling way, it was still readable from the backside as well. There was some kind of distortion, uh, spatial distortion field that it still somehow looked right. Even though the writing should have been mirror image, it still came out right on the backside. It's not clear if the Gemara means that, it's not entirely clear if Rashi means that, but uh, there, there are some who learned that it went all the way through and there was some further miracle that could be read from the backside as well. There are some who learned it went all the way through, it could not be read on the backside, Hashem did it that way for whatever reason, but it was, it was indeed mirror imaged on the back, uh, but, but the Mem and the Samach were B'nai Sayyidin. And there are those who say it didn't go all the way through. There are those who say when the, that when the Pasuk says that the Luchos were Ksuvim Mishnei Avreim, Mizeu Mizehim Ksuvim, they were written on both sides. They were written on the front and then flipped over and written on the back. But it doesn't mean that they were written all the way through. It means that they were written on both sides. So the, the Hashem repeated that there's a Dibras on the front and the back. But not that it actually not that it actually cut all the way through. So, so as usual, there, there, are, there, are, there are different shots there, there, there are different ways to understand. And the, 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 the bottom line is that the Rabbag himself has this radical approach that uh, certain types of Nisim, just like logical impossibilities or, or theological impossibilities or mathematical impossibilities, we don't say Hashem can do them. The Rabbag's opinion is that even certain types of physical Nisim that we would call simple violations of the laws of nature, even some of those are in the same category as logical impossibilities in order for Hashem to make a nace that water is held up, it can work only by, the, by something holding it up, like a wind or like a, or like a, a, a transparent barrier, but not that, 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 that things can just be suspended in midair.
I doubt that I doubt that other thinkers agree with the Ralbag. As I said, I've never seen the Ralbag directly challenged on this. The Rashba did challenge that Rabbi Levi about the member of the Samach, but I've never seen the Ralbag directly challenged on this. But this is the opinion. This is the opinion of the Ralbag, and the, this, this is the opinion of the Ralbag. This is his somewhat. Uh, this is his unique and somewhat radical approach to the splitting of the Amsuf and the splitting of the Yard.